welcome to the African Defence Review. This is the editor, John Stupart. I'm talking today with our senior correspondent, Darren Olifier. And today we're talking about the events happening in and around South Africa that have dominated the, the media space in the past week or so. We thought we'd discuss three key critical issues that we feel need a little bit more elaboration and a little bit more light shed on them. And we're going to do this in sort of reverse chronological order from the spy cables that have been released, at least in part, by Al Jazeera and friends, the question of this alleged jihadist running around in Syria who belongs supposedly from, from or comes from South Africa, um, and then finally talk about the, the signal jammer scandal, <laughs> in inverted commas, being been uh, discussed or was discussed last week in, in, in South Africa, uh, being used in the State of the Nation address. So to start with Darren, I think let's let's talk a little bit about the spy cables themselves. Um, <clears throat> obviously released by Al Jazeera, released, so what we have 17 of possibly hundreds of papers, um, clearly Al Jazeera themselves trying to milk this for all it's worth. Um, you know, instead of just releasing them en masse, which I think would, would make more sense to my mind anyway. Um, but can you explain a little bit just about, uh, I think, how, how Al Jazeera has gone about this and what uh, potentially the implications might be? So they appear to be following very much uh, the same type of model as WikiLeaks, uh, going through probably about, I'd say, 20 or so documents at a time, and reporting based on those, uh, you know, each day or each week or however they, they uh, decide in their timeline. Um, but there is some merit to this in terms of the fact that they still have to redact documents and also investigate the context surrounding them. Uh, but that said, you're, it's probably going to be quite some time before the full set of documents is available. And it is true that uh, in the meantime, there's going to be many, many, many uh, page views and hits going Al Jazeera's way. That said, though, I don't want to make this sound as if it's sort of sinister on Al Jazeera's part. The, the key here is that somebody somehow leaked these documents from within the SSA. And who do you think might? I mean, I suppose we, we shouldn't actually like uh, indulge in, in speculation here. Um, although, to, to to my mind, I think it's it, it, something on this volume speaks either of either someone within the SSA itself. Or possibly a, I mean, in my mind, in my limited capacity, thinking perhaps it was a hack. Do you think is that possible? I don't know. You know, um, what I find interesting is that the documents seem to come from both the foreign branch of the SSA and the domestic branch. Now, before the SSA was formed, these were two totally separate agencies. So you expect them in a the short time to still have uh, separate document uh, storage uh, locations. So for somebody to get a hold of documents from both both parts of, of the agency is, is quite interesting and intriguing. Uh, either it indicates that somebody has access to both sides' documents, or perhaps that's unwisely, I would say. They have gone and, and merged the documents into a single storage area. Then again, um, it seems that the majority of these, these documents are cables between the SSA and foreign intelligence agencies. So there could even be a possibility of the leak or hack or whatever it is coming in the method which they use to communicate. Uh, but it's without knowing more about the internal workings of the SSA, how it's organized and how these documents were stored, I think it's really difficult to, to give any kind of accurate speculation about how they may be leaked. 
I'm, I'm hoping that, that other more documents come out and uh, we get a clearer picture of exactly what has been leaked. We will get a, uh, we'll at least be able to reach a, a better understanding of how it might have happened. And of course, uh, I think in this case, the, the, the leaks that have happened so far have been, they've certainly been remarkable, uh, particularly, I think, um, in, in how it relates to South Africa. But I think let's talk uh, primarily on the defense aspect and how it relates to South African defense. And that, and that obviously pertains to the uh, Mokalpa missile technology supposedly being uh, stolen um, by Israeli intelligence or by Israeli uh, individuals. Um, Darren, your thoughts on that? So what happened in that case is that there were two employees of Danel who attempted to, well, not attempted, they, they succeeded in selling the Mokalpa's plans to foreign businessmen. And uh, it appears now from the leaks that what was previously unknown is that they, they sold the plans to at least one Israeli company. Uh, at some point, we're not quite sure, Mossad became aware of this. Whether they were approached by South Africa or not, I, I, it doesn't say. But they then offered to return the plans to us from the company which, which had acquired them in return for South Africa agreeing to uh, press no charges against the Israeli involved. So it's being seen in the press at the moment as a sort of an Israeli, Israeli directed action. But from my understanding, it really was an action directed by those two employees. And uh, the involvement of Mossad seems to have been fairly above board in this case, in that I, I don't see any evidence that Mossad itself was involved in the attempt to acquire the plans. So in this case, I think perhaps maybe more less of a case of uh, egg on the face of the SSA, so much as just a case of almost outright theft, I suppose, from Danel and, and, and the intelligence agencies resolving it amongst themselves. Exactly. It's industrial espionage. Um, it involves you know, state secrets of some sort. Therefore, uh, there, there is involvement of, of the, you know, the national intelligence agencies. But it isn't the first time that Danel has been breached and probably won't be the last time. For, for parallels internationally, just, just, just uh, look at the recent reports about um, Chinese uh, spies breaching into the F-35 program. Uh, the, the fact is, as long as a country develops, or sorry, as long as a country's companies develop high technology solutions that have a commercial or military benefit to others, you can expect there to be some attempt, either from companies themselves or from the state, to try and acquire those those those, um, those plans and those details. Therefore, the 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 uh, the focus ought to be on securing those those plans and securing the companies. We do have a company as part of the SSA called Comsec, and their entire role is is, is you know communications and, and information security. They're one of the entities within the SSA whose job it is to to try and prevent this from happening. Which is the irony, in fact, that the SSA is now breached. But um, that is one of the SSA's stated well, roles according to, to, to law, which is to help harden and protect other parts of the South African economy and government. Right. Okay. Um, I think moving on from, from that, because it is early days uh, in the spike cable saga, and you'll certainly hear a lot more from African Defense Review on that. Um, we're, we're, we're only the day one, I suppose, into Al Jazeera's slow leak of the, of the leaks themselves. Excuse the pun. Um, so we'll, we'll certainly get more information on that as we go. But uh, moving into that as well, earlier this week, there was a report by Simon Ellison in the Daily Maverick on an individual, a South African individual, who 
had allegedly joined ISIS and was now in Syria happily running about on jihad, presumably looking for heads to chop off and people to burn alive. Now, this is, I mean, obviously we, you know, you and I have both commented on this already on, on, on various media forms um, throughout South Africa and I suppose in France as well. But we, we're talking about one individual with some very, very uh, sort of selfie-esque kind of Instagram-y kind of photographs. And I, I for one, am skeptical. I think much like the, the, the spy cables, the extent to which this is valid and disturbing probably relies on getting more information. Um, I think, uh, Darren, what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on, on this supposed jihadist running around in, in Syria? Well, it's the old dictum. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And uh, thus far, the photos shown are not really convincing. They, they show the guy obviously wearing the, the regular ISIS headgear and, and whatnot, but there, there's no indication of, of actual combat weaponry of um, there doesn't appear to, to look as, as disheveled as regular fighters do. And the room in which he is posing does not appear to match any of, of the facilities or rooms or even the style of places that, that, that we've typically seen. Of course, that, 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 that doesn't mean that it, it isn't true, but uh, it's just that, as you say, more evidence is required. It's not enough to go on, especially uh, I was able to see a couple of the other photos of, of this individual. And you see his chest rig, for example, that, that he uses, along with the, you know, other, other shots of his AK-47 that he's got slung with him. It's all brand new. And I mean, like you said, he's, he doesn't look disheveled. He doesn't look dirty. He doesn't look like he's been in a war zone, which if you see any pictures these days of, of, of ISIS fighters, that's, that's how they look. Uh, how, hell, even you, you show me the most well-turned-out U.S. Marine in Afghanistan for crying out loud, and I guarantee you you'll see scratch marks on his M4 carbine. You'll see dirt on his face and, like, general general wear and tear. This guy looks, you know, fresh as the day he was born. Um, and that, that, that makes me doubtful of the, of, of, of the claims also because, you know, a lot of, all of the equipment he has um, only... You can buy that at your average airsoft store in South Africa, of which there are many. And sure, he has got a Turkish stamp in his passport, but any South African who isn't on a terror watch list, ironically, can travel to Turkey with very, very little paperwork and get a, uh, you can apply for a leave visa online and sort it out there. Um, it's, it's, this is not enough information to say, okay, we have an ISIS problem in South Africa, at least in, in my opinion. I mean, there are reports and have been reports that there are other South Africans involved with ISIS. And it's probably true that on the balance of probabilities, there has to be at least one. Um, I'd be surprised if there isn't. And, you know, I, I really, I don't want to say that this guy is not as he claims to be there, because, uh, again, it's, it's, it's hard to say for certain. But I think all we're saying is that the current evidence is not proof either way. It isn't enough proof to say that he actually is there, although it obviously isn't for us to, to say conclusively that, that he is faking it. But I think uh, uh, that raises an important question about ISIS's media campaign that, that, that worries me about this specific case. And that ISIS get it. They, they, they understand the, the, the propaganda of the deed and the importance of getting the message right, which is why they have such a you know, relatively high production value in their you know, savage executions. 
it's why they they have quite slick introductions and, and, and good you know general cinematography I mean good good in the amateur sense not good in the, the Hollywood sense I suppose um, whereas this this individual seems very much you know like 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 a, a, a I don't know a sort of an early a guy in his early 20s taking selfies on Instagram um, Possibly, uh, supposedly, his, his 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 account was tracked to Syria, but not impossible with, with current VPN technology to replicate. Um, I just I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think we agreed in that. There's just we need more information to go on before we can see anything. Um, in uh, I think in the on the the Daily Maverick, if I remember correctly, in that article by Simon, also mentioned something about a, a grenade. Another picture that was ahead of him with a grenade in his hand. Um, you know, in this case, I think getting granular with the details makes the difference. And I think what kind of grenade is it? You know, is it a Soviet one? Is it an American-made one? Either are plausible um, in, in in Syria, but it just things like that would help lead towards evidence. Much like the the Brown Moses blogger was able with enough evidence to prove chemical attacks originating from the Syrian regime many or several or last year actually, if I remember correctly. Um, so too would it be possible with enough information to, I think, um, better ascertain whether this guy was the real deal. And, and, you know, I must say what I found particularly striking was that if you look at um, these sort of publicity photos of other ISIS fighters, especially those from Europe, the camera is always held by somebody else. It's, it's almost never a selfie. Uh, and it's, it's taken in some kind of heroic pose. Because there's, there's, there's not the feeling that there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, they want to publicize that these guys are with ISIS. And that they want to publicize that people are joining because, obviously, as you say, this, this adds to their attempts to recruit. So for the fighter to be taking selfies alone in a room without any other uh, ISIS member nearby to help him with the photos does seem a little bit far-fetched. Yeah. And, I mean, perhaps... Again, to go back into the speculation pool, I mean, perhaps he had just arrived in Raqqa or something like that, and he was literally a fresh-faced recruit ready to, to be targeted by <laughs> NATO's or by, by the Western Air Force's drones. Um, I, uh, I, I turned them drone bait, the new guys. But, the you know, maybe he's just freshly arrived, felt, you know, got his, got his phone and his internet connection and thought, okay, while I'm sitting here waiting to, to go to the front lines, I'll, I'll take some selfies and send it through. But we don't know. Although one would think that the newbies aren't given the newest rifles. That's a good point as well, actually. Generally speaking, it's in any military as well. Even if, you, if you're new in the army, you generally don't get the new shiny assault rifle. You get the, the shitty old one. That's, excuse my French, you get the crappy old one that's been, you know, passed down with the bent barrel and the, you know, faulty springs in the magazines. So, so what's our call? Implausible, but not impossible. Yeah, I think I think that's that's where we stand on this. Um, absolutely. So now moving away from from jihadism and going through to the the, the more um, how do you say scandalous, at least as of last week, uh, topic of the signal jammer used in the State of the Nation address, um, and and the the plausibility I think was the the key topic or the key narrative last week about. How plausible was the, the state security agency's excuse that this was used as uh, a means to deter um, IED detonations and possibly other things um, and, and just general 
I suppose technical feasibility of it all. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, Darren, you 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 you've done a hell of a lot more research on this than than I. So so what what's your what's your word on this? I mean, I, I know we should uh, uh, I should also note that this has become less of an issue this week in the wake of more interesting ISIS related stuff in these spy cables. But it certainly seems like the furore about the media has died down very quickly. But I'm fairly sure this will resurface, which is which is the point of why 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 we at African Defence Review are revisiting this. So, uh, Darren, what's what's your word on this? Well, you know, I think the SSA was hoping that the headlines would shift, but they didn't realize it was going to shift right onto them for a different issue. <laughs> out of the out of the cooking pot and into the fire. <laughs> um, so the, the the key issue here is that the SSA has offered uh, a reason for why the jammer was on, and according to their person, it was on accidentally. So the SSA explanation is that it was not intentional to, to jam the journalists, that they had this jammer there to, to protect the the president in case of an attack or whatever, and um, the operator inadvertently left it, left it turned on. A lot of the attention in the press is focused on whether or not this is plausible, with the general view being that it is completely implausible. But I disagree with that. And I think it, it, it goes down to a specific point in the SSA's reasoning which they mentioned, although it did not quite put across very well, is that they stated that the jamming device was intended to be used to help or as, 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 a, as an additional barrier against small, low-energy drones. Uh, where this comes from is that there's, there's sort of a recent and um, newer fear amongst intelligence and security agencies about the possibility of packing a, a small, low-energy drone, like, let's say, the DJI Phantom. Which with, is basically uh, a quadrotor, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a quadcopter the size of um, a small PC, basically. And um, the fear that you can pack this, pack this with a, you know, a kilo or two of uh, explosives and turn it into a very effective flying bomb. And uh, listen, I must say, although it's, it's not that likely to occur, it is a threat that has to be considered. It's not impossible. Correct. And the, the biggest problem with this sort of threat is that it's so hard to counteract because um, even though these are low-energy drones, they move at a fairly high pace. And uh, any attack from above or at that scale is, is really hard to defend against. You know, um, people... Can you imagine the, the panic, for example, if security services open fire into the air at a quadricopter uh, flying around? Exactly. That's really the thing, is that um, it's a known quantity how to deal with full-scale aircraft. You create a no-fly zone, and you have um, radars and whatnot. Uh, it's, it's a known quantity how to deal with individuals. You know, you, you, you station your, your um, bodyguards around the area, and you have certain sectors to cover. No one's yet come up with the best way to sort of defend against this potential threat. So the SSA's reasoning on this is that they... They were trying to, well, going to use this jammer as one of the layers of defense against drones in the event that the president, well, actually, they haven't acknowledged this, but as part of the, the protection for the president. The reading between the lines, because they said that the intention was actually never to activate the jammer during, during regular, you know, during the president's arrival, is that it was meant to be used in, in terms of an emergency evacuation. And for more, more background there, the, Oh, so it was for the evacuation, well, in the event of an evacuation rather than a yeah. uh, arrival. Which would also fit the general use of, of jammers as uh, 
general cancer IED devices, uh, where typically they're only activated in the event that there is a real um, situation with an emergency and you have to use perhaps routes that are unplanned or whatever. Um, so the, the gentleman that was photographed in Parliament, we're not quite sure yet what the specific type was or model number or who made it, but the, the um, we can make some very good educated guesses based on some of the parts that are, that are already out there. So first of all, it's clearly a high-powered device. We're talking about probably a few hundred watts upward, which would indicate a jamming range in you know, a clear outdoor area of about 300 to 400 meters. Uh, in an urban environment, that's probably going to come down to a few dozen meters. Also, it has six antennas, which again, going looking at uh, other products on the market, which are you know, very similar, they are uh, the typical jamming range of a device like that with that many antennas is anywhere from about 100 megahertz up to 3, 4, even 5 gigahertz. And why that's important is that, you know, your, your cell phones, your cell phone signals, which are often used to detonate IEDs, are range from about 900 megahertz through to um, about 2.1 gigahertz. And the ISM band, which is what most uh, UAVs, or let's say UAVs, most civilian drones are controlled on, like your, your DJI Phantom. That's on the 2.4 gigahertz ISM band, the same band that you use for Wi-Fi. So that's right right in the middle of where this thing is capable of jamming, which means that it is actually quite plausible that you could use a dam like this to disrupt the signals of any um, commercial drones within, I'd say, the nearest few dozen meters, and then theoretically make it impossible for the controller to give it proper, proper terminal guidance at somebody who's running away. Uh, you know, there have been a few interviews with, with um, uh, hobbyist operators who've said, what's well, not a problem because you, you, you just program a fixed route into this thing. You know, you give it a flight plan. They give it some waypoints and yeah. And that's true, but that, that, that isn't the point. The point is the last few dozen meters. It's the fact that if you don't jam that link, you can follow the prison as he runs away. And uh, so, I, in my view, that's plausible. Further to that, the device photographed in Parliament did not have any of its antennas attached. So it has six antenna ports, all of them empty, and the antennas were stowed. What that does is that severely reduces the range of the device, and it also uh, reduces the, the, the abilities to jam across the whole bandwidth. Um, so, for example, I mean, with, with antennas attached, it doesn't matter if your drone uses frequency hopping, as many do, because it'll jam the entire spectrum, and whatever, whichever, whichever channel you try and hop to is already jammed. But uh, with antennas off, it's far less, affected, far less effective and far less able to jam any kind of signals, which is why um, journalists in Parliament were able to achieve signal by hanging up the windows or c going to the bathroom. I see. So it literally is affected by a few meters um, rather than a few, I suppose, score meters or in, in terms yeah, so, of maybe a couple of hundred meters. Yeah. So, so in theory, looking at the current um, device, with antennas attached and running at full power, that thing should have been capable of a blocking signal in the entire parliamentary precinct, not only in that sort of uh, limited space. Um, and then again, there's also the possibility that in preparation for this supposed evacuation, that the operator might have plugged the device into charge 
And at that point, perhaps it was still active from a previous run or, uh, you know, any kind of stress like that. Yeah, I mean, let's never rule out human error uh, for, for even the most professional organizations. Well, that's again the thing, you know, it's, it's never an attribute to malice what can be, you know, more adequately explained by incompetence. I think this is the issue here is that I'm not saying, or at least we're not saying that the SSA's explanation is correct. That's not at all. I mean, we can't make that call without actually having been involved in the actual um, action. All we can say is that the SSA's explanation is not implausible. And I mean, based on the technical specifications of that jammer, it is it is plausible for it to be used in that fashion and in that purpose, for that purpose. Yes, and it is, it is plausible considering the fact that there are no external indications visible of activity that uh, an operator might have activated um, inadvertently. Yeah, I think that probably the most plausible of everything is is really incompetence um, <laughs> um, or just human error. People make mistakes, yeah. Yeah, people make mistakes. And in fact, in a way, that to me is almost scarier because uh, one should hope that the operator entrusted with the device this powerful uh, should not be making the kind of errors. Yeah, particularly if it's 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 almost used in a, a sort of last line of defense kind of measure against uh, uh, unmanned drones and IEDs to in a respect. If you know if the person operating that isn't isn't aware when it's on or off, I I certainly find that far more disturbing than uh, than than the excuse given by or the, the the reasoning given by the SSA in the first place. Um, you know, I, I think I think it's far more disturbing. Uh, a, a, a reason. And, and aside from that, the device was left unattended in a room where any journalist or any other person can walk up to it and you know, sort of mess with it. Unplug it, put it in a backpack and run off with a, with a very expensive piece of kit. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and have some fun with it. So my, my view is that were the intention to, well, put it this way, if the device were found hidden in the roof, let's say, with all, all, all antennas attached, I would say complete, pure evidence, there's, there's, there's no argument that it was designed and intended to jam uh, the phones of journalists and MPs. But without that kind of smoking gun, I, I just can't come down on one side or the other. So I think uh, the media houses that are saying conclusively that it was meant to jam journalists' phones are, in my view, making a mistake. But hasting, in the words of of the ants of uh, Fangorn Forest. <laughs> so, so again, it, it, it really isn't that we ought to give the SA the benefit of the doubt. Um, not at all. In fact, uh, they're the ones who really need to prove their own their own reasoning here, because uh, this is a horrible, a horrible mistake to make, and it, it's really not something we ought to forgive. Absolutely. Okay, well, um, I think in, in, in this case, the, the lesson of the day today is, um, I think, evidence and the need for more and the need for more information on, on all of these topics. You know, the first one, the spy cables will get. The jihadist, I think, remains to be seen with the single jammer. I think we've seen as much as we'll get, and that's, that's about that. But, um, Darren, thank you very much. I, I certainly appreciate the... Appreciate the insight and analysis, and I think hopefully um, this will be a pretty good um, 
uh, foundation, I think, to to start the, the the media cycle going into March because this certainly is not the last I think we've heard of any of these topics. Um, and I rest assured, again, African Defence Review will carry on with that. Um, if you've listened this far, congratulations. You can consider yourself informed on what's going on in South Africa's defence and security sphere. Um, you've been listening to African Defence Review. You can subscribe to us on Twitter at African Defence or simply just subscribe to our newsletter from the website itself, africandefense.net. Uh, thank you very much, Darren, and uh, good night.